This morning, our focus is, we're focusing our thoughts and our experience together on worship of Almighty God. Nothing that we don't do, week in and week out, but in terms of what we're wanting to convey biblically this morning, uh, and, and, and I'm just trusting that you'll open your heart because of what Christ has done, we have the opportunity to come weekly, daily, on our own even, and then certainly as we gather before an almighty, transcendent God. Yeah. He's transcendent. He's beyond what we can comprehend. And I want, us to, I want our, our hearts and our minds to be drawn that way and his direction this morning. If you're a newcomer to church or to, you know, what it means to be a Christ follower, I invite you and encourage you to, to open your heart, to open your mind to possibilities that might surprise you in a positive way as you become aware in a gathering like this of, of, a, of a God who is all-powerful and all-loving and loves you and wants to draw you to his heart, to himself. So I, I hope you'll open your, your, your heart that way. Elementary students, so great that you're with us for these next few minutes. You'll be dismissed in a little while. But, but I love that you are hearing this approximately a 10-minute talk, and then we're going to worship one song before you're dismissed uh, together. Um, because you students can teach us adults a lot about trusting God, about loving God, about worshiping God. And I, I just value you being with us for these moments this morning so very much. True worship. Pastor Brennan will speak to some specific elements a little later, but I, I want to lay a biblical foundation that is absolutely vital as we talk about this biblical subject, true worship. Please hear these important words from the Apostle Paul. Apostle just simply means sent one. A church leader, missionary in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, this guy, Paul, used to be a, a zealous uh, religious leader in, in the, in, in the um, Jewish religion. So much so that he was uh, destroying, attempting to destroy Christianity and Christians. But he met Jesus. And his life was revolutionized as he wrote about half of the New Testament under the Holy Spirit's direction. But in a book to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, for many of us who have been Christians for some time, we, we know these words well. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Romans chapter 12, just verse 1 says, I urge you, and I want you to hear these words and take them personally this morning. I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's a, a way of saying we're a part of the family of God. We are, we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's speaking to those who are. In view of God's mercy, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's it. Heart surrender, life surrender. Worship begins and ends with heart and life surrender. The foundation of true worship is wholehearted yielding to the Savior every day of our life. Not just when we're, not just when we're in a gathering like this. True worship is all about Jesus. And we sing songs like that, but 
you know, if the song doesn't go just right, we're distracted. Or, no, tr true worship is just, it, it's about Jesus. It's not about the songs. It's not about the music. It's not about the atmosphere. None of those things, are obviously, are, are wrong or bad. As a matter of fact, they can, they can be things that obviously draw people in. But whether any of those exterior elements are things that are attractive to you or maybe somehow repelling, if I can use that word, uh, to you, should not matter when we're talking about a transcendent God that we're standing before. Because true worship as a Christ follower is being consumed with Jesus so we don't see anything else. It seems that this thing we call worship in much, I believe, much of North American Christianity these days can be so very consumer-driven. I believe that grieves God's heart. Consumer-driven worship, it, it's, it's just that those terms don't go together. In other words, you know, this idea that if it fits my style, if it fits my preference or my personality, then I'll engage. God, forgive us. God, forgive us of that attitude and that approach to worshiping you. God, forgive us. True worship, together as a body of believers, is not about whether or not there are colorful lights or whether or not there are guitars or whether it's a piano or organ or, or, or maybe it's no instrument and one individual standing before the body and beginning to sing as others join in as we experienced in the Dominican Republic last Sunday, morning and evening. And then Thursday evening, uh, a service where two churches came together with, with music that was phenomenal. It was, it, 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 but in all those gatherings, we sensed the Spirit of God and the genuine worship that came from the hearts of the Christ followers there in the DR. Why do we sometimes allow our, our preferences? And, and I'm speaking to myself because I'm, I've been there at times. Ah, it's just tough to engage in worship because I don't really like this song too much. God forgive Marlo. God forgive Marlo. Why, why, do we, why do we sometimes allow our preferences to determine whether we engage in worship or not? How can that even be the case? How could we allow a preference in style or, or, again, music or light or darkness or whatever, whatever exterior element it may be, how can we allow such things to determine our heart engagement in worship when we stand before an awesome and transcendent God? In his excellent little book called Here I Am to Worship, Worship pastor and worship songwriter Tim Hughes says this, the first thing God calls us to do is to watch him, to gaze into his eyes and behold his greatness. Then we'll come full and humble surrender 
that we saw in the book of Revelation that we studied a couple Sundays ago. In Revelation 5 where it says everyone in heaven and earth worshipped, truly, fully, completely, surrendered, yielded to Almighty God. Revelation 5, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, which is a reference, of course, to Jesus Christ. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever whether there's beautiful, skilled instrumentation that goes with the sung worship, or whether it's, as we experienced last Sunday, a Dominican, a, a, a lady from the DR who just, who just got up there all alone, grabbed the mic, and started to sing. People joined together. It's beautiful. Merely singing songs to God does not define worship. That in itself is not worship. Worship, again, I'll say it, begins and ends with heart and life surrender, as we read from Romans 12.1. And the foundation of any expression of worship, for, for it to be true worship, is offering to God all that we are and all that we will be. And how we want to live to please Him today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. True worship is rooted in the commitment that we are offering our, our heart, soul, mind, body, strength, everything to honor and to glorify God and to give up, to give up our rights to lead our life. That's worship. When our hearts are surrendered, it's, it's then that our worship becomes acceptable to God. He, he, he receives it. He actually receives it then as a sacrifice that we offer. It, be, it becomes, for us as well, it becomes spiritually energizing. And most of all, it's, it's God-honoring. I like the way the New Living Translation puts Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus... Because of what Jesus has done on the cross is the only way this worship thing is even possible. Otherwise, we're destroyed in his presence, actually. Thank Jesus for going to the cross. Therefore, let us offer, through Jesus, a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. You cannot separate those two phrases. Praise and allegiance declaring our allegiance. That's what we're doing as we worship. That is true worship. Declaring our allegiance. I want you to keep that in mind for the rest of this gathering. I want you to keep that in mind when you're putting in some worship music and you're driving to work tomorrow or singing by yourself. It's declaring your allegiance to an all-loving, all-powerful, almighty, transcendent God. There's a song that we've sung Maybe not for a while, and we're going to sing it now. It's called Inside Out. The lyrics express what I've been saying about true worship being rooted in full surrender of heart and life. It's the starting point for anything else we call worship that touches God's heart. One of the lines in this song is, Your will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you praise. We don't like that idea too much, setting self aside, dying to self. We don't like that. Scares us, maybe. 
Sounds a lot like the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, where he said, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We're going to sing this song together. Please, can I, can I ask you? And, and this, is the, this is God's ask every time we do this. It's not that this is any different than what we hope for, what God hopes for when we're worshiping together through music and singing. But can I ask you to make a choice in these moments this morning and to commit to do so every time we're together, to let the words of what we're singing, and, and, and for now, in this moment, the words of this song specifically, to be the, uh, the expression of your heart to God, the expression of commitment that you're making, or that in these moments you know you need to reestablish before an almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, transcendent God. Let's stand together as Brennan leads us in this song. Thousand times I fail, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, till I'm calling your grace, everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending, your glory goes beyond. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace. To love you from the inside out. Shine with all else. 
So it's funny that even though I'm a worship pastor and I graduated from a worship program, I still had like a lot of trouble writing a worship sermon. I don't know what that is about, but I should get my money back from Vanguard, I think. Um, no, no, I really had trouble with uh, deciding what I wanted to talk about because there's so many pieces that go into a full uh, understanding of worship and there's so many things you can talk about. But let's start with just why we worship. Culturally, you know, worship is sort of a weird thing. Like, people don't talk about worship normally. I think if you would ask someone what they worship, they would just look at you weird. Because we don't think of things like that as worship. But I really think everyone is worshiping no matter what they believe or don't believe. You know, we have this natural inclination to worship. Like, naturally, we elevate people or we elevate other things above others. We praise people. We have ideals that we think are better than others. And... um. Maybe you don't think that's worship, but I, I think it is. Like, an easy way to think about it is whatever you value most is what you're worshiping. So you worship whatever you value most. You rearrange your life to fit that. You sacrifice things like time, money, relationships to make that the priority. And our culture worships things like wealth, fame, power, like I, ideals like individualism or consumerism. Like, those are things like that are put first. And I'm not saying people literally, like, you know, make a shrine to some $20 bills in their house and bow down to it every day. But, but it's, it's more than that because it's not just physical. But whatever we orientate our lives around is what we're worshiping. We are inherently saying this is the most valuable thing. We are ascribing value to it. We are praising it. We are worshiping it. People worship all the time. That's because we're created to worship. God created us this way. But we're created to worship God. That's where that hole, that, that emptiness that, where we feel we need to fill it with something, whether, whether that's you know, money, fame, power, whatever that is, something we're striving for, that can be filled by God because we're created to worship God. And when God's not at the top, when God's not most important in your life, then something else is, and you're worshiping something else. And that's what the Bible calls idolatry. And it's been a problem since the very first sin. And it was a constant point of failure for, the, for God's people throughout the Old Testament. And uh, a pastor in the States, Tim Keller, um, he, said, he said this about idolatry. He said, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel significant and secure. He says, there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship with something but perhaps the best one is worship. If I have that, I'll feel significant and secure. What's that in your life? What do you strive after? What do you think that if you just have this, then your life will be complete? What are you worshiping? 
John Piper, another well-known pastor and author, said, true worship is valuing and treasuring of, of God above all things. That's what we need to be doing. Valuing and treasuring God above all things is the way we should be worship, worshiping, is the way we were created to worship. Worshiping is natural, and worshiping God is incredibly important, not only for your life, but simply because God deserves it. And maybe you aren't convinced of that. Maybe you think, well, I don't know. What has God done for me? And most importantly, he died for you. But even, even besides that, there's so many reasons to worship God. As we read through the Bible and we get to know God more, you know, he's perfect, he's mighty, he's holy, he's loving and, and all-powerful, and he created you and loves you. And if we're only able to grasp just how great he is, there's no doubt that we would just fall down in awe and surrender and worship. Like we see in the Bible, when people have visions of God, they're just completely humbled by what they see, by his presence and his glory, because he's so great. But day to day, we don't see God. I don't think many of us have had visions like that. But even look at, we can, like, look at what we can see. In Psalm 8, uh, 3 to 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Like, I love this, because when, when, when you look at how beautiful the mountains are, or how deep the oceans are, or how amazing all the creatures of the earth are, how incredibly detailed everything is, down to DNA, cells, and atoms, and how scarily expansive the universe is, with uh, apparently 200 billion galaxies, with an average of 100 million stars in each, and the universe is expanding, whatever that means, into what? I don't know. God does, I guess. That doesn't make any sense, but it's crazy, and God created that all. He designed that all, and he's greater than that all. Like, just that should cause us to worship. And here, that God that did that all, that God died for you. Jesus is fully God, is also separate as the Son of God, and like I said, God is greater than we can imagine, greater than we can understand, but Jesus died for you. He suffered, he went through pain and trials and temptations just like us. He did that for you. He was perfect, yet he took on the pain, guilt, and punishment of our sin. And then he died, he rose again, and he has given us new life. He defeated death, he defeated sin. Like he did so much in that moment at the cross. And that God who is so incredibly high above and above what we can imagine is also incredibly close and wants a relationship with you. Like, sometimes we just need to stop and think, God wants a relationship with me. The God, one true God. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing, and it's, it should surrender our hearts and bring us to a place of worship. Like, I think the greatest reason we have to worship is the cross. Like, Jesus' death on the cross is the most important and powerful event in history. It's the greatest act of love. It's like everything you've done wrong is forgiven and you're given a new life and you're adopted into his family and all you have to say is, God, I'm, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. I accept you as my savior. And then you have a new life. And that's all you have to do because we can never be good enough for that. We can never, we can never love and value Oh, sorry, we can never pay him back enough. We can't work hard enough. We can never be good enough to earn that. All we can do is worship him and obey him and live a life that is honoring to him. 
1 Peter 2, 24, 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Sorry. Our only response should be surrender and worship. So why we worship, I think, always comes back to the cross. We have the greatest reason to always worship. Even when we don't feel like it, we choose to worship and offer what the Bible calls a sacrifice of praise. Whether worship happens naturally or it's a sacrifice and it's hard sometimes, worship should never stop in our hearts, should never stop in the heart of a follower of Jesus. It's just so powerful. So that's why I think why we worship. But what about songs? You know, why do we gather here and, and, and sing songs together? Why is that important? Well, or like, you know, why do we clap our hands or raise our hands? Or why do some people dance in some churches or in the Bible? And I think we just do this all because of who God is and what Jesus has done. You know, we worship together through song because the Bible encourages these physical acts of worship. And here's a few main reasons that I'm just going to kind of throw out that I, I think are important and are a reason why we sing as a church. One, it's honoring to God. Like, it pleases him when his people worship him, when they get together and put him first in their lives. And we see that the Bible teaches that, so we do it. Also, worship can be so encouraging um, to do it with others that are also worshiping and encouraging you. And it brings unity as we sing together, as his body is worshiping God. We all together are unified in putting God first in our lives. And I think we sing songs just because God created us to enjoy music, which I think is great. Um, I think if we just chanted lyrics together in unison, that would be weird if we tried to memorize worship songs that way. And I think music is just a way that helps us memorize. It helps us um, be relaxed sometimes and just connect with God. So there are many reasons why we sing, but we see value in it as a church, so we do it every Sunday. And you can worship by yourself, but doing it together is something special because God made us for community. He made us to live in unity under him, and that idea is realized in worship when we sing. So singing, yeah, but what about clapping your hands, raising your hands, dancing? Well, simply we believe that it's biblical. We encourage these, these acts of physical worship because we believe it's biblical. Like in, in the Psalms, Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 134 says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. It's biblical. So we want to obey God's word as a church. But we can also see reasons why God may want us to worship this way rather than just strictly out of obedience. Like, there are reasons why God has made us to worship this way. Physical worship is simply an outward testimony of God's goodness. You know, as you physically engage in worship, you are proclaiming what God has done for you by physically showing it. And I want to be sensitive here because I know some, some people are wired differently um, and they may not be comfortable with that, but I think we just believe as a church that when 
your heart is satisfied and you're worshiping God and you're willing to obey him, that will show itself in physical acts of worship. And physical acts of worship will follow a heart that is just so in love with God. And God made both our minds and our bodies, and they are both under him, so we should be worshiping him with our entire being. Not to make anyone feel guilty, um, like, we're all growing, and I'm not saying that you need to be dancing around here or else you're sinning. Like, there are different levels of expressiveness. Um, but like Pastor Marlowe talked about, it's concerning to me when we as a, as a Western church culture or churches or individuals make worship so individually focused because really it's just, it's not about you. Like, it's not about me and how I feel. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about God, and it's about us as a church gathering together. Worship is not preference-driven. It, it's just strictly about God and honoring him. And it's meant to build up and encourage the church. You know, we don't worship for ourselves. We worship for God's glory. We worship first in our heart. But I just encourage you to always let the outflow of your heart be evident in your body. Because even just what it does for the church is important. Like, I think physical worship encourages more physical acts of worship. Like, when, if, you know, if everyone is singing loudly and engaged, even if someone thinks they have the worst voice in history, they're not going to be scared to join in. They're going to be encouraged to join in to a beautiful sound that our church is making all together. Or if you look at someone and they're passionately engaged and just, you can see that they're surrendered and passionate towards God, it's encouraging. Like, I love when I look out and, and see people engaged, and it encourages me, and it encourages our church as we worship. And again, like, no guilt, no shame. This is just somewhere where I think everyone can grow in. We are all walking towards Jesus and trying to honor him with everything we do. Um, so this is not meant to bring guilt or make you feel uncomfortable, but we always want to be first focused on obeying God and obeying the Bible. And we want to be focused on what Jesus has done for us, and we want to be willing to live a life of surrender and sacrifice and worship, whatever that may be. The worship band can come up at this time, and, and we have an opportunity to sing just a couple more songs, to continue in worship. And I encourage you not to hold back your worship, but to allow the love of God and what Jesus has done in your life to show. Show itself in true worship to Jesus. Maybe for you, that's just singing for the first time and taking that step. Maybe for you, that's, that's raising your hands in a sign of surrender and reaching out to God and just saying, God, I want to be close to you. God, I want to worship you. And, you know, you can start down here and just receive what God has for you. That's fine. Maybe for you, it's, it's finding a place and just kneeling down and surrender. Whatever that next step is for you, whatever you think God is calling you to do today, Step out of your comfort zone. Let's all, as a church, be passionate about growing towards God. The one true God of the universe is here. He's always here, and he wants to know you. Jesus that died for you is here. Open your hearts to what he has. He wants to know you, have a relationship with you, so let's seek him and put him first. Let's worship him today. Yeah. Heather is just going to share a testimony about her own journey in physical worship. So thank you, Heather.
Good morning. I'm going to share a verse with you from Jeremiah 31, 13 to 14. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. When I was growing up, I started out in a rather formal, sometimes stoic, um, and always reverent church. Uh, that happened to be the Catholic Church, <laughs> Brennan. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And uh, it was from the very early foundings of my childhood an off-and-on experience. Uh, periodically, my parents would take us, and every time we were there, it was reverent, as I said, but always formal and sometimes stoic. Music was uh, hymns and often very restrained is the word I would use. That was the founding of my faith. That was the early start of my experience. And as I grew, I uh, got closer to God through the Catholic Church, in a charismatic Catholic Church, later in my teens, and then into my early 20s. And then lots of life happened, and I fell away. Pretty far away, actually, from God. And when uh, my mom, who had found her way into an evangelical faith at that point, invited me to the Women of Faith Conference, I thought she had joined a cult, <laughs> actually. Uh, but I went anyway to satisfy my mom. And uh, in the moment of that conference, uh, through the course of its whole focus, I heard this message of grace. Grace and freedom. Grace covering us completely with the love of Christ. Gone was stoic. Gone was formal. Gone was routine. And instead, one moment, I was standing there, albeit in an auditorium of thousands of people. It was much like a concert for um, a rock band, maybe, that you're really into. And there was this overwhelming sense that I should lift my hand. I'd never done anything like that in my life before, and I frankly felt really awkward the entire time it was happening. And I refused God for a very long time. The Holy Spirit, however, would not let it go. And so I did. I just lifted my hand. Now, most of you know me now and would have seen me here on this platform or have been probably knocked in your shoulder by my energy in the row. So the journey from that one moment of lifting my hand to what it is to be free to worship today doesn't look like the other habits that I have tried relentlessly to put into my life. This is hard work for me. Exercise, running, eating healthy. My husband constantly reminds me. It is hard work for me to do these things. This was not a habit I had to form. Instead, it was a giving in. And I just want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit, you can hear the music of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your mind and in your body. The Holy Spirit is calling you to release the sense of performance. I don't longer worry about being called Elaine from Seinfeld. 
which I actually have been called at certain times in my life. I don't worry about it because it's not about me and it's not about who I'm beside. It is not a performance. It is a giving in to the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, be alive in us. We invite you into our hearts. You don't need an invitation. We just ask you to fully and powerfully overcome us, God. Just totally pull us in, and we will give in to you. May you encourage us in worship and to point our hearts to you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. More songs. This song we're going to introduce fully soon, but right now we're just going to sing the chorus a couple times because... I want this to be our cry. I want this to be a cry that our church will just be passionately loving Jesus in every way, passionately serving him and worshiping him. And we just need to ask, God, stir a passion in us. So if you can catch on, you can just sing it with me. Stir a passion in my heart. 